Hi, I'm Bill Arnold. Thank you for listening to this podcast. There are many more podcasts available at MyFaithRadio.com. Your support makes this possible. Thank you. You are listening to an encore presentation of Afternoons with Bill Arnold. Faith, Hope, and Clarity in a special repeat performance. And a warm welcome to the afternoon show. One of the happy things for me when the Christmas season rolls around and Advent begins is I look forward to speaking to Ace Collins every year. And I know this year I'm going to get him more than once, so I'm very excited about that. He's generous with his time because he's in huge demand right after Thanksgiving, right up until Christmas Eve, because he's uh, written a number of books about the traditions of Christmas, the songs behind Christmas, and everybody wants to talk to him. And I have a feeling I'm one of the first interviews he's doing this season. I'm, I'll find out in a minute. But uh, he's written over 100 books. You can learn more about him at acecollins.com. Ace, welcome back. It is a joy to be back with you. And you're about the fourth or fifth. Okay. Very, very early on, I actually did some things with the BBC last week. So, awesome. awesome. So they caught me first. But So I was over in England and... Uh, that was kind of a, a unique experience. I, I have no problem there. I have real problems in Ireland with call-in shows. I, I cannot understand um, <laughs> what people are saying to me in Ireland for some reason, which is strange because I have no problem in Italy and Austria. But the Irish accent on the phone just literally, I'm just trying to pick out a word somewhere when people call me and say, <laughs> and hope that I'm picking out the right word to tell them the story behind whatever they want. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, this has become a tradition for me and my show to have uh, you on a couple of times in the holiday season, and I'm looking forward to talking about Christmas music today with you. And we're, I know we're going to uh, touch on carols and some of the classicals and some of the hymns and even uh, dip our toe into some secular music and some of the contemporary. So I don't know where you want to start in that, in that category, but I'm going to open up the, uh, the platform and the show and say, where do you want to begin? Why don't we begin with the oldest hymn that we still sing in its original form? Uh, there's a couple of uh, carols that we sing that are older as far as different elements of them. But the oldest hymn carol that we still sing is O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, that dates back 1,100 years. And, and imagine, if you will, we are singing a song. Uh, yes, it was originally written in Latin, but the translation that we have is from the original Latin words. We're singing a song that has a range of one, you know, octave. It's very easy to sing. And as you listen to that old carol, you can actually imagine being somewhere in Eastern Europe in a small stone uh, church hearing five or six monks harmonize on this song because it is... It is just timeless, and you know, and it looks in each verse at a, at a different element of of how Christ is perceived. They call it the Great O song, because O O is the first letter, and the first word in every one of the uh, stanzas. And I, I think it's fascinating in a world that has such dramatic changes, and, and where technology advances at the rate it's advancing, that. We are still singing a song in its entirety that is over 1,100 years old. Mm, that is a fascinating story and a great reminder that that every verse starts with "Oh." I think that's a, a fascinating because I love that song and and I can hear those monks harmonizing even as we speak. Yeah, 
Yeah, and it you know you can hear it echoing off the walls, stone walls, and and things like that. You can, you know, it it is a timeless song, and it's really if you think about it. And you and I have talked about this in the past. Christmas is unique because Christmas is very much a time machine. Um, we can hear a certain song or see a certain ornament or, or participate in a certain tradition, and it takes us back to the moment we first experienced it, to a key moment in our lives. And suddenly, the people who have gone on that were a part of our Christmases are very much alive. And and the years are wiped away, and we might be six, seven, eight years old. We're experiencing it like we did mm-hmm. then. And there's no other time of the year, none, absolutely that gives us that opportunity like Christmas does because the music and the traditions come back in the same form. Um, I've said often, if you had a Christmas hit, you know, in the, in the last hundred years, if you had a Christmas hit, you are literally immortal, immortal from an entertainment, entertainment Mm -hmm. standpoint, Mm -hmm. because, you know, you can't imagine a Christmas season without Bing Crosby singing white Christmas. And yet, Bing had all of these other secular hits that were huge, you know, and yet none of none of those songs are remembered to this day. You look at people like uh, D- uh, Dinah Shore and others that, that charted over 400 times from the 30s and 40s and 50s. No one remembers their music as well. But if they had a Christmas hit, such as Crosby, such as Mariah Carey right now, you remember her song much more, Christmas song much more than you remember all of her others. They probably that probably will be true fifty years from now. If you have got that Christmas song, then you literally are remembered forever, and that's why Christmas music, uh, because of that connection it gives us, is so vital. I think it's also interesting that, particularly in pop music, and it's true in secular, uh, sacred Christmas songs as well. When a song is written and when it comes out defines to a large degree if it's popular and 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 how it catches on. Uh, there were four great songs that came out in World War II that might not have been remembered to this day, except they meant so much at a time when the world was so unstable. The same thing's true of the Vietnam War. There were two songs that came out during the Vietnam War that spoke to the masses looking for some type of peace. And and um, those elements, I think, are why there's only maybe four or five new songs introduced every 20 to 25 years that actually last in Christmas music. We, we, we really go back and listen to the music that our grandparents listen to most of the time. Mm-hmm. Ace Collins is my guest. You can learn more about Ace at acecollins.com as we're talking about Christmas music and carols and some of the classicals and hymns and secular songs and contemporary ones. And when you talk about uh, having this uh, as an artist, you're having a Christmas hit that it practically immortalizes you in the entertainment industry. It's so true. Uh, you can't imagine a Christmas without Bing singing White Christmas. And there's other songs that people are, you know, that they love. And then uh, you think of the time machine that Christmas is. And ever since you said that years ago, Ace, it's stuck with me because there's nothing like Christmas to be that time machine because of the sounds and the sights and the smells, and they take you right back to your childhood. 
They do. Uh, nothing wipes away the years like Christmas yeah. does. I mean, literally, I can see a blue light and 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 be reminded in great detail of my grandmother because she only put blue lights on her Christmas tree, and and I know what that tree looks like. I can suddenly see those ornament, other ornaments. I can smell what her cooking was like in the kitchen. She was an incredible. Uh, cook and suddenly I'm on a hill in North Arkansas having Christmas at my grandmother's right. again, and, and she is still there and she is still with me. I can hear her voice, I can feel her presence, I can experience her love once more. Wow! And I don't think you know, and that happens over and over again. You, you can hear a certain song and be reminded of a Christmas program you were in in elementary school that is. When you can remember nothing else about that year in elementary school, <laughs> suddenly you remember the outfit your mom made, and you remember being on that stage, and you remember singing Silent Night, and, and suddenly it all comes back to you in vivid detail. And that is what Christmas gives us, memories in vivid detail, so real that we almost are there experiencing them all over again. The other thing it gives us, because so many of us have been impacted by certain songs, it crosses generational lines. We experience some of the same emotions hearing White Christmas with being Crosby that our grandparents experienced, and our grandchildren, no doubt, will experience those same memories as well. Mm -hmm. And Ace, I want to go back to your grandma's house in Arkansas, and the blue lights on her tree were not accidental, were they? They were intentional. They were intentional. Uh, blue is the is is a is in the Christmas terminology is the color for love, and and she always had a huge family Christmas, and therefore she wanted the love a light on her trees to remind all of us that we were welcomed, we were loved, we were accepted, uh, and. You know, there were other things that were on those trees as well. I wish I had a couple of the ornaments. I don't. Uh, they were lost years ago. But those blue lights, um, I still have a tree every year that has blue lights on it, just to remind me of my grandmother. Um, the tree in my office, by the way, I have a home office that's sitting right beside me, is decorated as if it was a tree in World War II. And all the, lo- all the ornaments on that tree are pre-1945. A number of them are actually World War II ornaments, and and so each of them has a story. Now, I don't know all those stories because I've collected those ornaments at sales and other things, mm-hmm. but it's, there's something very special about having the bubble lights, the ornaments, and the tinsel on one tree in your house to remind you that my grandfather, who served in World War II, missed three Christmases at home, and yet this would have been the kind of tree he would have come home to in 1945. And... Um, I like to have those memories around me to also put Christmas in perspective because I can't imagine anything more more difficult or sad than going through a Christmas where you're separated from your loved ones, which is the story behind I'll Be Home for Christmas, which was, of course, a huge World War II hit for Bing Crosby. Mm-hmm. And I'm not going to make you out to be a crazy person, Ace, but you do have, what, seven trees in your house? Nine this year. Nine. <laughs> All right, take it back. You are crazy. We've, we've upped the game by two. Yeah. All right. Uh, you and know, we have, we have one of those. Ten, I found one of those tinsel trees from the 1960s. Oh, nice. With the color wheel and all of that, and I I couldn't resist. Oh, I, yeah. And I you had did, to have. You had did. To have that. You did some house remodeling in the last year, didn't you? Yeah, about 18 months ago, we added a room onto our house. Uh, we added two rooms: a downstairs bedroom. We also added a room that looks like a 1960s uh, diner in our house, complete with soda bars and everything nice. else. 
And I bet the, uh, a tree and, went in there. And two trees are in there right now. <laughs> and and that 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 is was built exclusively because we feed between 50 and 70 college kids at our house every Sunday night. And so we wanted them to have a place to hang out that was really comfortable. And so we've got the jukeboxes and things like that in there. And and this this Sunday night will be the last home home group of the semester. It's called the Varsity Diner. We've been doing it 13 years. And we will have Christmas this Sunday night. Oh, fabulous. Diner. So it'll be my first Christmas of the year. Oh, fantastic. Let me take a little break. Ace Collins is my guest. You can learn more about Ace at acecollins.com. He's, ri- he's uh, written over 100 books. You heard me correctly, 100. We'll take a break and be right back with more Christmas music and the stories behind it. Faith Radio and Afternoons with Bill podcasts are available because of listener support. If you are a supporter, thank you so much. Becoming a supporter today by visiting MyFaithRadio.com. You are listening to an encore presentation of Afternoons with Bill Arnold. Faith, hope, and clarity in a special repeat performance. Ace Collins is with us today. You can learn about Ace at acecollins.com. We're talking about Christmas music, and who doesn't like that? I hope you like it. I like it. Ace loves it. And right before the break, we were talking about uh, the soldiers who wouldn't make it home for Christmas. And uh, I'll Be Home for Christmas, you kind of teased us with the meaning of that song. Would you share a little bit about that? Sure. It was written by three individuals who actually had come up with the concept before the war. And it was about a man who was homesick for his high school girlfriend. He was at college. And that was the idea. It never took root until the war. And then with the troops being gone and things like that, uh, folks who would later write hit songs, by the way, for the platters and rock and roll music, Buck Ram and those people, um, wrote this song. And it was, you know, shopped around. It was just 12 lines long. And um, Bing Crosby was looking for a follow-up hit to White Christmas, which came out in 1942, even though it premiered on the radio on December 24th of 1941. Um, And Bing happened upon this incredible uh, 12-line testament to empty seats at the table during the holiday season during World War II and recorded it, and it became his third really big Christmas hit. Um, And when you listen to the song, it it is a sad song that is also wrapped in hope, you know, the hope of there will be a homecoming. The most interesting facet for most people about it that they don't understand, and some people even change it now when they sing sing it, is um, the line about presence on the tree. And actually, uh, in the days before World War II, presents were small enough that most of them were tied onto trees like ornaments. And and so when you hear that song and you hear presents on the tree, that's what it meant. Uh, Mm. There weren't as many presents under the tree as there were on the tree. 
and you couldn't actually tie an electric train on a tree, and so that that kind of that kind of present giving uh, went away. Something else I'll give you that's a little bit of trivia because we'll talk about traditions later in the in the holiday season. But the uh, the string. Do you remember getting uh, animal crackers as a kid, and they had a string on them? Sure. That string was to hang animal crackers on your Christmas tree. I didn't know that. Uh, they were they were they were shopped as Christmas gifts. And so what happened is kids would, the parents would hang them on the tree and the kids got to open the, uh, take them down off the tree and open them and eat them uh, as they opened presents on Christmas morning. Ah, great, great story. Thank you for that, uh, Ace yeah. Collins. Well, you know, one of my favorite stories is the story behind Silent Night. Oh, gosh. You know, that, that is Silent Night. We should not know that song. I mean, literally, we should not know this song because, you know, here it, it, over 100 years ago, as a matter of fact, I guess uh, uh, 200 years ago, I mean 202 years ago, uh, four years ago now, um, there was a priest in a little town in Austria, in Ob- Obendorf, Austria, who was in charge of his first Christmas Eve service. And he was so excited, and he had done it with music. And, and, and it was the music that was going to drive this Christmas Eve service in this little town. He went to the church to fire up the stove and, and, and get things ready for that service, and the organ didn't work. Now, there's a lot of stories in, about the organ having the mice eat the bellows and other things. No, it was just an old organ that had been acting up for a while, and it just chose Christmas Eve to give out. In a panic, he raced across town to visit a friend of his, Franz Gruber, who was a school teacher. And Gruber lived in this little apartment by the school, and it was cold out, and Gruber was just trying to stay warm as he did lesson plans. And the priest told Gruber the story of how the organ didn't work, and they were going to have this entire service destroyed for lack of music. And Gruber said, I'll play guitar, and we can do songs with the guitar. The priest said, none of the songs that we practiced with the choir they won't work on guitar. And so he said, so let's come up with something new. But two years before, when visiting his uncle, uh, this this priest, Father Moore, had walked through the forest at night on Christmas Eve and been so overcome by the silence of everything that he went home and wrote Stilly Nacht, Heilige Nacht. Somehow he found that poem, and he and Gruber set it to music and taught it to the choir. And that night, mm. Silent Night, or Stilly Nacht, of course, in the Austrian language, saved that Christmas Eve service. Now, we should not have known that song today because the priest made no effort to get it published. He never really thought about it again, but somebody had to fix the organ, and the organist asked, what did you do for music on Christmas Eve? And Joseph Moore picked up his guitar and played the song. Well, the man who fixed the organ wrote down the lyrics, learned the melody, and unbeknownst to Moore, became the Johnny Appleseed of Silent Night. He took it everywhere he went for the next 20 years. And imagine Moore, 20 years later, this priest, this small-town priest, walking through a town in a large city in Germany and hearing his song come from a cathedral. And at that particular point, nobody believed he wrote it. When he tried to say, that's my song, I wrote it. So he had to go back and find the original manuscript and show them, yeah, this is my song, I wrote it. And 
this song, the Jesus Loves Me, if you will, of, of all Christmas carols, because it has been sung by more people in more places and translated, trans, uh, translated into more languages than any other Christmas carol, was a mistake, really. It was just an organ that wouldn't work, and they needed a stopgap measure. And Silent Night was that stopgap measure. And if it hadn't been for a guy having to come fix the organ, we wouldn't know it to this day. The most interesting thing about this story, though, is what is the name of the church in Obendorf, Austria, where Silent Night was first performed? Uh, St. Nicholas. St. Nicholas. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you know, there's nothing like a deadline, is there, Ace, to get a job done? No, no, done. no, no. Believe me, I can identify with that. Yeah, yeah I know you can. <laughs> I know you can. So uh, they trying to salvage the Christmas Eve service. They had a deadline. They created this song based on this poem. And this song is so important in the lives of so many people. I know when I go to my uh, Christmas Eve service and they we sing Silent Night, it's everything changes in my heart a little bit because here it is, it's a Silent Night song, and I love that song. And uh, my gosh, uh, it probably has been in at least fifty Hallmark movies by now too. Oh, at least. I yeah. mean, you know, it was used in ho- Hollywood movies forever. And every time I find my wife watching a Hallmark movie, some at some point in that Hallmark movie, Silent Night is going to be played or sung somewhere. Um, it it is the most sung Christmas carol of all time, and. Uh, it's not the biggest selling Christmas song of all time, but it is uh, the most sung Christmas carol of all time. We mentioned Bing Crosby. Other, Silent Night was actually his first big hit in Christmas music before White Christmas and I'll Be Home for Christmas. So, you know, Bing latched onto that song uh, to raise money for charity in the 1930s and recorded it. And it became a number one hit in country music and in, in, uh, on radio. Um, and... Ironically enough, I think it's been a number one hit by four different artists in the modern era. So this song just has a life of its own. It's kind of, you know, and it wasn't meant to be. It's kind of like the song that defined the way Christmas looks for all of us was actually written for Thanksgiving. It's a spectacular story. I I just love it. Um, We are going to take a short break, but when we come back, we're going to continue to talk to Ace Collins about the music of Christmas. And the stories behind these songs are so interesting. And, and uh, I know if you have a particular song that you're curious about, I bet if you text it over to me, we could uh, ask Ace about it. 877-933-2484. Again, 877-933-2484. And I would love for you to consider giving hope for Christmas this year. Um, if you uh, you want to pray to see how you might be the hands and feet of Jesus this Christmas and let Faith Radio know of the need so we might be able to bless someone with a $500 Visa gift card. We want to do that this Christmas. So if you want to give hope to somebody, you can uh, go and give hope for Christmas at myfaithradio.com. Be able to uh, nominate somebody, so to speak, who would need a little bit of encouragement and who might be in a tough place. So we're going to take a break. When we come back, lots more with Ace Collins, our guest. And if you, again, have a, a song in particular that you would like information on, I bet Ace can tell you about it. 877-933-2484. We'll be right back. From now on, our troubles will be out of sight. 
yourself a merry little Christmas. You are listening to an encore presentation of Afternoons with Bill Arnold. Faith, hope, and clarity in a special repeat performance. Jump in your car. What's for dinner? It's the afternoon show with Bill Arnold. Ace Collins is with us today, and you think that Ace likes Christmas? He's got nine trees in his house. So as a starter, uh, we're talking about his knowledge of Christmas music. And I'd mentioned to listeners, send over some songs that you'd like to know something about. And boy, I got a bunch of songs here. Ace, do you want to jump in? Sure. All right. First one is, can you explain Good King Wenceslas? Yeah, uh, that actually goes back to the Santa Claus legend, too, if you will. Uh, St. Nicholas of Baria was... Uh, a man who uh, delivered Christmas presents to the poor, uh, and matter of fact, did it through did things to the poor throughout the entire um, year. And his uh, he inspired a Bohemian prince to do the same thing to go out on Christmas Eve and take presents to the poorest of those who were his subjects in his land over in Eastern Europe, um, and that Bohemian prince was so famous they began to write songs about his generosity, and one of those songs was Good King Wenceslas. Now, this prince's name was not Wenceslas. Uh, it, it was a Latvian name. It was, excuse me, a Bohemian name that is very difficult to understand. So Wenceslas, as hard as it is to say, is much easier than that. But it is based on a, on a true story about a man who took, along with his, uh, with his soldiers, took firewood, food, clothing, and others to the poorest of the poor about five to 600 years ago. Wow, great. All right, how about this one, I Wonder As I Wander? Ah, that's an American song uh, that was discovered in the 1930s by a guy who was assigned but, uh, through the Roosevelt administration. Uh, they had a number of artists that were painters and other things. This guy was assigned to go out and find uh, hymns, if you will, not hymns, but uh, folk songs and save them. And he heard a little girl singing this song that her mother had sung, and he jotted down all of the lyrics. And it was this song that we know, this this folk song from America. No one knows who wrote it. No one knows where it came from, other than the fact that it was dis- it was discovered in a little town, uh, and in in Tennessee or Appalachia or or Kentucky in the Appalachian Mountains. With a, with a child who had basically nothing, singing it to this guy, and this child was just looking into a store window as she waited for her mother to shop. Hmm. Fascinating. All right, we had several people wanting to know about I Heard the Bells on Christmas Day. Wow, powerful story. Um, this is, by the way, it's about to be made into a, uh, a movie, I think. Uh, Longfellow, the greatest po- poet probably in American history, wrote the uh, song, and he wrote it actually on Christmas morning. But if you listen to it very closely, the first five or six verses are downers. They're talking about how horrible it is. You know, uh, there's a line in there, you know, basically wondering if God is dead, what happened to him? And this was written during the Civil War. It was written by a man whose wife had recently passed away after being burned to death in a house fire. It was written by a man whose son had come back from the Civil War badly injured. It was still written when the war was going on and there was strife everywhere. And this man, who was a university professor, was losing many of his students to this bloody conflict. 
And as he wrote this poem, pouring out his heart about how hopeless he was, he heard the bells on Christmas Day. And if you read the last few verses of that song, suddenly those bells ping out, God is not dead, nor doth he sleep. And so this is a man who had lost his faith and then found his faith in the midst of writing a song, reaching out with the plea, is anyone listening? And suddenly the bells assured him, yeah, there were still people listening. Mm, So interesting. Another note came in, Ace, about Silent Night, and the listener is uh, believing and understanding that Martin Luther was the author of of that song. Uh, Wrong. And that's the, that was the big thing. Luther had died 200 years before that song had been written. But that was who got credit for the song for quite a while, until finally in the 1930s, Moore, Moore was finally given credit for writing that song. Another song that Luther gets credit for is, and it's often called Luther's Cradle Song, is Away in the Manger, which was actually written by a Pennsylvania farmer. But it was... Uh, it was matched to a tune that was called Luther, Luther's Cradle Song. He didn't, Martin Luther didn't write the song as well, that, that tune. And so people now actually think that Martin Luther sang that song to his kids. No, it was written in the 1800s by a, a Pennsylvania farmer. Mm-hmm. Ace, what is the song that was the result of a sketchbook that a, a, a sketch artist uh, drew for his daughter? whose mother was uh, ill. Now, I'm not reconstructing this very well, but I think I've given you enough clues for you to tell the story correctly. Yeah, we go back to Thanksgiving um, in the late 1930s, the Depression, when a man who worked at a department store as a copywriter um, was living in a small tenement apartment with his wife and his his daughter. His, His daughter Barbara was about four or five years old, and Barbara broke his heart with these words, why can't my mommy be like all the other mommies in the world? And this man, Bob May, realized that this child had never seen her mother healthy because her mother was battling cancer. So he didn't know her personality. So he created a story, if you will, and told his daughter that story that night that captured this woman's personality and energy that this little girl had never known. Um, the girl loved the story so much she started asking for it every night. And between Thanksgiving and Christmas, um, he created a book with pictures and words that fleshed out this story because he had no money for a present. And a few days before Christmas, his wife died. And so people were coming by the house with condolences on Christmas Day, not with joy, but with sadness Yet this little girl kept showing them this book, and one of the men there said, you need to read this book at the company New Year's Eve party. And the man did, and the CEO of the company heard it and actually bought the rights that night to that book, which helped Bob pay off all of his debts and move he and his daughter to a nicer part of town. And over the course of the next five or six years, every child who sat in Santa's lap got that book, now printed with those with those drawings in it as a present from this department store chain. Mm-hmm. Well, right after right after World War II, this chain was approached by a publisher that wanted to publish the book. Well, they gave all the right, rights back to Bob May, and the book came out and was the best-selling children's book of the post-war era. And Bob had recently remarried his new brother-in-law. Johnny Marks came to him and said, let's write a song based on your book. And they did, and Bob Hope turned it down, Bing Crosby turned it down, Dinah Shore turned it down. 
Another actor thought about it, turned it down as well, but his wife heard the demo record and said, Gene Autry, you got to cut the song about the reindeer nobody will play with. (laughs) And that is the story behind Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. I think it's one of the greatest stories in the Christmas season because it proves that a gift given with love can come back magnified to the giver time and time again. By the way, Johnny Marks, who wrote the music to that song, also wrote the music to Rockin' Around the Christmas Tree and Holly Jolly Christmas. So he has three of the top ten biggest hits of all time. Wow. And to think that uh, Hope and Crosby and Dinah Shore all passed on Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. And Hope never had a Christmas hit, and neither did Dinah Shore, and, and, huh. and that seems a shame. Now, Hope introduced one of the most famous Christmas songs of all time, but he failed to record it before Bing Crosby got to it, and Crosby had his fourth hit on Silver Bells, even though it was Bob Hope in the movie The Lemon Drop Kid who first sang that song for the first time. So Crosby beat him to the punch. I bet there was some issues with that. I probably was. I never heard about it, you know. And and realistically speaking, Crosby probably could have had a fifth major hit, except Mel Torme, uh, when he was the co-writer of the Christmas song that was made famous by Nat King Cole, Mel Torme held out to make sure that his friend Nat King Cole got to record that song. Uh, no one, including the record company, wanted that to happen at the time because they didn't believe a black artist could have a major hit. And so in 1946, Nat King Cole, before Jackie Robinson and before um, the incident with Rosa Parks on the, on the bus, at least integrated Christmas music for the very first time. And Christmas was got a little color through that wonderful song. And it's, once again, Nat King Cole's signature song. Yeah. And much more than anything else, we, re, we remember Nat King Cole for his two Christmas hits, The Christmas Song and, and Caroling, Caroling. Wow. So, yeah. yeah. So good. Ace Collins is my guest. You can learn more about Ace at acecollins.com. Uh, a note came in, Ace, that uh, Martin Luther did write, From Heaven Above to Earth I Come. I don't know if I know that song. I don't know that song either, but yeah. Luther is responsible for a tremendous amount of, of hymns and and and, and hits. And, and maybe the best thing that Luther did for Christmas was tie a candle onto a tree um, and, it, and to explain to his children that... <clears throat> the light came into the darkness on Christmas morning and that candle represented the light. Um, and therefore Luther essentially gave us lights on Christmas trees. Mm-hmm. Um, he also created the first Christmas fire hazard, but <laughs> um, fortunately now we have lights that don't burn hot. And, and so we don't have the fires on Christmas trees anymore, but uh, Luther gave us the tradition of lights on a Christmas tree. Yeah. But when they were putting candles on Christmas trees, the trees usually went up on Christmas Eve, and they were pretty fresh yes. cut trees, so they they weren't the dry, crispy trees that we would fear uh, to be a fire hazard. Christmas trees went up on Christmas Eve, and usually were taken down on January sixth. Yeah, and, and so that was the day that uh, you know that's the day of Epiphany in, in uh, any for, for many churches, and it's also actually that is Christmas when Christmas is celebrated for. Um, uh, the ortho, the Russian and Greek Orthodox churches. By the way, uh, it's interesting, too, the 12 days of Christmas is actually the 12 days from December 25th till January 6th. So that song is, you know, is, talks about 
those 12 days, not the 12 days before Christmas as we think of it today. Interesting. I, I remember, you know, my mom talking about going to bed on Christmas Eve, and that's when the tree went up, because that was the big yeah. surprise. You'd come down yeah, in the morning. Yeah, if you look at the old, if you look at the old Hollywood movies, like uh, Christmas in Connecticut and, and others great Hollywood movies from that era, they were going up at that time as well. Uh, Christmas was moved forward as much as anything else by World War II, because um, people were asked to shop early, and so stores opened early, they decorated early and everything else so that servicemen overseas could receive their presents in time. So that's when that's when we really pushed Christmas to right after Thanksgiving as far as the shopping, the decorations, and, and other things. Before that, literally it was the week before Christmas when everything happened, including the shopping. Mm-hmm. Ace Collins uh, is my guest. Ace, is there a question just came in. Are there any Messianic Jewish Christmas songs? Um, not that I know of, okay. but I can, t- I can tell you this. Um, when you look at White Christmas, uh, Rudolph, Holly Jolly Christmas, um, the list goes on. Um, seven of the top ten selling Christmas songs, songs of all time were written by Jewish songwriters. Oh, sure. And that, that's an interesting thought. I ask one of my Jewish friends about that, and, and he looked at me and smiled and said, well, it is a Jewish guy's birthday. <laughs> um, yeah. You know, but Mel Torme was Jewish and he wrote those songs. Johnny Marks was Jewish. Irving Berlin was Jewish and wrote those great Christmas songs. The best selling, uh, one of the best selling albums of all time is was sung by um, a, a Jewish lady, and that's Barbara Streisand. She has the best selling version of Silent Night of ever recorded. Wow. Yeah. Well, my guest at five o'clock is a Messianic Jew. I'll ask him, and he better have an answer. So he better because yeah. I, I don't. I, you know, I, I don't actually look at you know unless it ties directly into the story with ethnicity, like the like the Negro spirituals and stuff. I actually don't look much at the at the uh, color of or the background of sure. who wrote the song. I'm much more interested in what inspired it. Sure. Yeah. Ace Collins is my guest, and we're talking about the music of Christmas. And if you have a, a song that you would like some backstory on, send it over to me, 877 877-933-2484. 877-933-2484. We want to pray for you. We all need prayer. We would love to pray for you. The Faith Radio team is serious about prayer, and we pray for specific listener requests every week. Share your prayer requests with us anonymously and securely on our website at myfaithradio.com. You are listening to an encore presentation of Afternoons with Bill Arnold. Faith, Hope, and Clarity in a special repeat performance. We are talking Christmas music today with Ace Collins. You can learn more about Ace at his website, acecollins.com. He's written over 100 books. Now, Ace, I got a question. Uh, I want a hippopotamus for Christmas. I didn't know that was a song, is it? Yeah, that's a song, and I can't tell you the story behind it. <laughs> I, just, <laughs> okay. I get asked that from time to time. By the way, you'll, I think the, your, your audience will find this very interesting. I have, over the last 20 years, kept track of interesting songs I have been asked, and also yeah. because I do an equal number of Christian versus secular radio station uh, networks, you know, and, and 
I, I'm curious as to the request I get from listeners about songs. Mm-hmm. The number one song I get asked about on secular radio is Silent Night. The number two song is Oh Holy Night. Mm-hmm. Okay? This is the secular radio. One, this is secular radio. Okay. Yeah. okay. The number one song that people who call in and talk to me, ask me questions about on Christian radio is Grandma Got Run Over by a Reindeer. I'm not making this up. It's true. <laughs> I don't even know what that means, but thank you for sharing I, I don't either, but I can tell you the guy who wrote that song, it was the only song he ever had that was a hit that was recorded. He wrote it as as a joke because one of his friends in his band at Vanderbilt University bet him he couldn't write a song where somebody died in the first verse and people continued to listen to it. And he wrote that, and he gave up his music career and became, I kid you not, an air traffic controller. Oh, hilarious. <laughs> uh, all right, Ace, here's a question that came in. Is, uh, will you share about Joy to the World? And was that song meant to be about uh, Jesus' second coming? You know, we can't go back and interview the writer, so we don't know yeah. exactly what they had on their mind when it came to Joy to the World. But when you look at that song, the song is is... Really, Isaac Watts, you know, wrote over 500 hymns. Wow. And he was the first great hymn writer. You know, before that, uh, people in the Church of England sang sang psalms is what they did. And he was the one who told his father, who was a preacher, hey, Dad, our church services are boring. Our music is horrible. He said, well, do something about it. Write something. And he did and became not only just a great preacher, but also one of the great hymn writers of all time. And And... You know, when when he looked at the scripture um, concerning the birth of Christ, he was inspired actually to write this song. It was set to music by Lowell, Lowell, Lowell Mason about 45 years later. But I, I think probably he was writing about the joy that came to the world when Christ was born. But as he was a pastor, as he was a theologian, if you will, uh, as Advent was so important to the church at that particular time and looking forward to the time when the second coming happened, I would never argue with anyone Mm -hmm. who looked at that and said that, gosh, no, this is about the second coming, not the first coming. I I, I view it as as an account, if you will, of, of Jesus' birth and the excitement that happened and the fact that darkness came to a, a light came to a dark world, mm-hmm. but you know uh, it would work as as a song about you know the the ultimate advent that they were teaching back then because they taught advent several different ways back then and one of the ways they emphasized was looking forward to um, Jesus' return and and Isaac Watts would have been one of those teaching and preaching that in his church. All right, Ace, as another uh, request, I saw three ships. Yeah, that's that's a convoluted one. If, if there were there was one, it was written in, by someone in England, probably, uh, to the best of our knowledge. We don't know the author's name. And they didn't know much about the situation because they thought you could get to the Holy Land via sea. Um, but it doesn't matter because the, the, the imagery is wonderful. Uh, and this was probably written by someone who either lived by the ocean or worked in an ocean trade, such as fishing or exploring. And therefore, they wrote a song that people in England at the time could relate to. I mean, you know, because ocean travel was where they got to 
to everywhere. Mm-hmm. And so even though it's not theologically accurate, hey, guess what? A lot of our songs have shepherds and wise men arriving at the same time. They're not theologically accurate either. And I don't think that hurts because these people were writing what they were inspired to write and what was on their heart. And I I kind of like the song because it is it puts Christ into uh, the birth of Christ into an element that the people who lived in this part of England at that time could understand and relate to. Um, you know, it's kind of like we sing today, God rest you married gentlemen. And that is the most confusing song in the world. If you think about it, because why would God want happy people to sleep? <laughs> Yet when that song, when that song was written, rest didn't mean always mean sleep. It, it also meant make or keep. And if you sing it, God make you marry gentlemen, it makes a lot more sense. But if you also go back to that period of time when that song was written by some unknown uh, songwriter, the word um, the word Mary had several different meanings as well. When you said Mary Old England, England was the most powerful country in the world. It meant that it was a great or mighty England. When you looked at Robin Hood and his merry men, they weren't happy out in the forest. They were mighty. They were powerful. The, uh, the, the king at the time was scared of them. And, and so the songwriter probably wrote lyrics that to those people meant, God make you mighty, gentlemen, let nothing you despair. Mm. You know, remember Christ your Savior was born on Christmas Day. Mighty Christmas uh, was probably what they meant. Have a powerful Christmas, and an, an an, uh, the the spiritual kind of Christmas that that will change your life, which was talked about in Advent a great deal in the study of Advent. And we in America say Merry Christmas to each other to this day, but in England they say Happy Christmas. They don't know why they say Happy Christmas. I was talking about this on the BBC the other day, but they probably say Happy Christmas because there was a point in England when Mary had several different meetings. Mm-hmm. All right. I have so many requests coming in here, Ace. Uh, I'm glad you're coming back on the show again in December. Um, as a child, we used to go to services at 6 a.m. on Christmas morning in a country church. We always sang when Christmas morn is dawning. What is that backstory? Yeah, you know, I, I don't know the writer of the song. I don't know that they're, you know, they're, they're, you get credit for publishing songs a lot of times and writing it. But, you know, it's, you know, it's a song that I, that, that harkens to the, the, the moments before Christ was born. You mm-hmm. know, Christmas dawn was the awakening of light. So it foreshadows the light that came into the world as much as anything else. Uh, you know, it, it is a, it's kind of an obscure carol now. It's not, it's, it's, it's not sung nearly as much as it used to be. Yeah. But, you know, it was a powerful rural hymn for many, many decades yeah. uh, in America. Yeah. Here's another comment. We put up our tree on Christmas Eve for our children when they were little. My husband's parents did that when uh, my husband was growing up. He still has fond memories of the big surprises on Christmas morning. And do you know anything about uh, Some Children See Him by Tennessee Ernie Ford? I, I think it's not even, might Albert, not even be a, a Christmas song. Yeah. No, it's Albert Burt wrote oh, the song. Okay. It is a Christmas song. He wrote so many great Christmas songs. And, and Tennessee Ernie Ford was the first one who cut it. Uh, most of Albert Burt's carols were actually cut by Nat King Cole. Albert Burt, I believe, was from Wisconsin. It may have been Minnesota, up in that area. And he um, he uh, 
was a man who wrote a, who wrote lyrics to a Christmas carol every year and sent it out in his Christmas card. That was his Christmas card, a new Christmas song for everyone. And and that was a song that he wrote that I think is one of the most powerful testaments of children's Christmas songs in the world, that people see Jesus as themselves. You know, you're made in the image of God. Well, they see Jesus, if you're in Asia, they see Jesus what children do as being Asian. If you're in Africa, they see him as being black. I think it's a powerful statement on the fact that Christ is Christ to all people. And the the boy that was born in that manger came for all people and not just people who looked a certain way. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a powerful, powerful, uh, those lyrics powerfully express that. Yeah. Well, I'm looking forward to uh, part two when you come on in December because we just started to scratch the surface and we're already out of time. I did get a message from a listener, David, saying, tell Ace I gave out his new car book at my car show in July. <laughs> a lady won it. And um, so when we talked about... Uh, cars and the devotion you wrote that's a great little christmas gift too i want to encourage people to head over to acecollins.com and ace has written over 100 books and uh, what was a number 100 book what which one was it uh, it was probably uh, one of the books in the in the president's service series because i've written 19 of those okay wow. and so it's probably one of my world war ii novels okay. I, I really i wanted it to be the current novel which just came out uh the final imprint because i thought that was the most creative thing i'd ever done but it got delayed, and so it was 102. Yeah, awesome. So I look forward to having you back on in December, and we'll continue to talk about some of the traditions behind Christmas. We may not do music next time you come back, but we'll certainly talk about some of the great traditions of music, and I'll look forward to having you back on. Hey, always a pleasure, and y'all have a mighty Christmas. Thank you so much. Ace Collins has been my guest. Go to acecollins.com to check it out. We want to pray for you. We all need prayer. We would love to pray for you. The Faith Radio team is serious about prayer, and we pray for specific listener requests every week. Share your prayer request with us anonymously and securely on our website at myfaithradio.com. That wraps up our show for the day and for the week. Thank you for supporting Faith Radio. See you next week. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.